respects. Um, I've actually seen that. That's in the British Museum. I've been there and I saw that. You've seen it. close and Yeah. Anyone know what this is called? This is this is called the Black Obelisk. Huh? I mean, it's sort of black. Um, Sennacherib the Third made this obelisk to commemorate all of his wonderful great deeds. The reason I'm putting it here, though, is because of this detail. Now, let me go back on the first one. This this little piece here. That's what I'm going to zoom in on. This guy bowing down, this guy is Sennacherib the third. The guy bent down bowing down, down, who's that? Jehu. That I I believe that is the earliest picture we have of any Hebrew. So now you know what Jehu looked like. Of course, what artists thought it looked like. I don't know if he stayed around the post for this. Um, and I don't think anywhere in the record of 2 Kings that even mentions Jehu's relationship to Assyria. But according to this, he must have traveled to Nineveh or somewhere like that, or to the Assyrian capital, brought his tribute with him. He was apparently a tributary to, to the nation of Assyria. And from, it's from obelisks like this and from a lot of the uh, clay tablets that they also wrote for the records that, that we know a lot about uh, the Assyrian kings. And, and we, can, we can relate them, or, or experts can relate them with, uh, with the Bible. And in fact, sometimes we can even find out where the records are wrong and the Bible's right. I mean, this seems strange. You think, well, what's going on there? But, but you see, these kings, when they write their, their stories, they're only writing it from a one-sided standpoint. And, and in this morning's lesson, one of the chapters that you read was about Hezekiah. And you, and you know about all the, the uh, challenge between the Assyrian king and Hezekiah. Well, when the Assyrian king got back home, and now why did he, go, why did he end up going back home? Well, that, that was a prediction, but then later when it actually happened, something happened in one night. Well, the, the 180,000. Yeah, 185,000 of his soldiers died overnight, and then he had to go home. Well, he, he writes a record of this campaign. Guess what? He skips. <laughs> he doesn't mention 185,000 <coughs> soldiers dying in one night. He says that he boxed Hezekiah in like a bird in a cage. He doesn't mention the fact that he never did capture Jerusalem. He doesn't mention the fact that he had to leave it in disgrace. So that's what I'm saying. You can kind of fill in the gaps in the, and correct some of the errors in these Assyrian you know, records from the Bible. So we've got spin doctors with us for ages. Yes, propaganda is not good. <laughs> Alright, now we're, we're going to start with chapter 11. In our outline here, and why do we have two, two books on the outline at the same time? Originally there were one book. When it was originally written in Hebrew, this was the book of Kings. 
actually they didn't, they didn't have a name. The, the, the Old Testament books were written without names. And when did it get split into two? When they translated into Greek. Yeah, what do we call that translation? Septuagint. All right, very good. Um, we are here in 2 Kings point two, Israel and Judah from Jerome to Jerome to Israel's exile. Um, and I'm hoping we're going to get past that and we're going to be in the last section, which I don't plan to finish today, Judah from Hezekiah to the Babylonian exile. In fact, I only, if, if we're lucky, I'll get as far as Hezekiah we all read to the end of the book but next week we start First Chronicles we do seven chapters guess what's in those seven chapters genealogy seven chapters of genealogy so I've left ourselves some chapters of this to do next week because I can't spend 45 minutes on genealogy it would be very lonely yeah <laughs> Okay, now when we get into chapter 11, we're in, we, we, we need to talk to, about this woman named what? Athaliah. Is she a good one or a bad one? Yeah. She's bad. Um, yeah, well, I guess I won't ask John. That he is. This is not this is not a chart of the order of the kings. This is the genealogy chart. And so I want to show you how the different families are related. Uh, on, on, in Judah, we have good King Jehoshaphat, whose son was Jehoram, and he married his son off to who? Athaliah. And whose daughter was she? Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab was the son of Omri. And Omri was the founder of, of a dynasty uh, that the dynasty goes on down through Joram here. Um, but his wife Jezebel was the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of Sidon. He was a priest of Baal. And so she systematically stamped out Jehovah worship in, in the northern kingdom of Israel and replaced with Baal worship. And of course Elijah had a big contest with the prophets of Baal and all that. Alright. Ahab and Jezebel had two sons that sat on the throne. Ahaziah was the first. He died without any children when he fell through the lattice. He, sent, he tried to find out from um, that, um, that god of, of the Philistines whether he was going to live or not. He found out from Elijah he wasn't. So his brother took over, Joram. Meanwhile, Jehoram has died and Jehoram and Athaliah had a son named Ahaziah. So Ahaziah is king at the same time as Joram, and they die at the same time. How does that happen? Jehu kills them both. Yes. So at the same time they both die, what does Athaliah do? She's the mother of the dead king. What does she do when her son gets killed? She steps up. Yes, but she has to do something to make sure she's going to be here. Kill anybody. Right. Kill anybody that might possibly have a claim. So she kills all of her grandchildren. Well, she would have killed that one if she had known. <laughs> but, Joash, who was not how old was his son? He was one year old. 
Now, he's a debate. Um, his aunt, his aunt was named Jehoshaphat. She was the sister of Ahaziah, possibly a half-sister. We don't know. It doesn't say who her mother was. So she may not have had the mother of Ahaziah, but she certainly had the father of Jehoram. She steps in and rescues one of all the grandchildren that being killed, hides him in a bedroom, which we have to understand in those days, well, a bedroom was basically a closet. It's where you, you store the beds, not, not where you slept. Hide, hide, so she hides him in this closet with his nurse. And then, and then managed to get him out of the palace and into the temple, which I, apparently was where she lived. Uh, the temple not meaning, you know, the holy place where the police are allowed to go, but there were a lot of rooms built around the side of the temple, and there may have even been some other buildings on the premises. Her husband was the high priest, Jehoiada. And so the two of them secretly raised Joash for six years. Meanwhile, Athaliah is systematically wiping out Jehovah worship, shutting the temple, putting in Baal worship, putting, you know, priest and Baal, the whole thing. Um, just being, trying to do basically what her mom did in the northern kingdom. And so, at the age of seven, the high priest decides the time has come, and he organizes a coup. And they, they appoint Joash, He's called both Joash or Jehoash. This is, this is one of the things that makes it a lot of fun to read. <laughs> the king. He gets a double name. Um, they appoint him. And Athaliah comes out, and what does she say when she sees things going on? Treason. Treason. Which are more about her last words. <laughs> they killed her. They killed the priest of, of Baal. They... Um, stamped out the Baal worship. And a key verse here is in um, chapter 12, verse 2. Jehoash did right in the sight of the Lord all his days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Unfortunately, Jehoiada was pretty old when, jo when Joash became king. And so he died before Joash died and, and things went bad after that. Um, which we don't see much in the story of kings. When we do chronicles, we'll see some of the things he did bad. And that, that's true for several of these kings. Um, so, here is the chart. You, you all have this, the full page of this. Uh, and just to see, we had Jehu, uh, who killed Joram, and he killed... Um, Azziah over here. And then Athaliah took over and then Joash took over. He ran for quite a while. He, he, he restored the temple um, which it needed to be restored because of all the damage Athaliah, Athaliah and her sons had done. Her son meaning the king who had been the king uh, for a while. Um, and but then in chapter 12, 17, we have this little, little note that just kind of sticks in. Haziel, king of Aram, went up and fought against Gath and captured it. And Haziel set his face to go up to Jerusalem. Now Haziel, you see the arrow, you know, if you go way up there, he's from Damascus. He's come all the way down to Gath. So he's got 
control of a lot of the territory, takes Gath, is going after Jerusalem, and Joash pays him off by taking all the gold out of the temple. And that's happening because Joash is, is going bad, and we'll learn more about that when we do Chronicles. Um, then his servants rose and struck him down. So there's a, a coup here, except it's not like the coup in the north, because the people who kill him don't become king. His son becomes king. And this happened more than once in the southern kingdom. When, when people get mad, I mean, it's not like in, in our country when, when people get mad at the president, they just vote for a different guy the next time. But there, you know, the king's going to be king for a long time, so when they get mad at him, they kill him. And this, in reading between the lines, um, I, I'm sure they're blaming him for the, the sorry state in their nation. When, when uh, he has to spend all the money in the kingdom to buy off the enemy, uh, you know, he's, he's a loser. <laughs> um, so, we move on. Um, in chapter 13, um, we go, we switch to the northern kingdom. This is the thing that makes it so difficult to read the books of kings. This is, these are the only books in, that I know of in the Bible that are like this. Um, I mean, not the only books that are hard to read, but <laughs> they're hard to read in this sense. Because they keep jumping between the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. And sometimes the kings have the same names on both sides of the line. <laughs> so you really have to have a chart and watch carefully to, to, keep it, to keep track of it. But we're up now to Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, as we begin chapter 13. And things got really bad with him. Um, Haziel, the same guy that has been beating up on Joash in the south, he's beating up on the people in the north. It's so bad that in verse 7, he left to Jehoahaz not more than 50 horsemen and 10 chariots and 10,000 footmen. Just a tiny, tiny little army left. Um, but, hey, but Jehoahaz prayed in verse 4, and, and the Lord listened to him. And in verse 5, the Lord gave them a deliverer. Let's say who the deliverer was. And different people have different ideas. Um, one idea that I think is quite a reasonable one is that it, it was his uh, great-grandson, Jeroboam II. We're going we're gonna to see in a little while why that might be. But it might be someone else. I don't know. Um, he dies. His son, uh, Jehoash, becomes king. And it's in his reign that Elisha dies. Which, we haven't had Elisha in ages. You know, all the stories of Elisha were put together. But here you have this one isolated one at the very end when he dies. And um, Jehoash goes and visits Elisha you know, based on his destiny. And he gets promised, Elisha prophetically promises him a victory at Aphek. And this up here is Aphek. We've had Aphek before. It seems like Israel and Syria are all done fighting in Aphek. He's going to get a victory in Aphek. And then um, he wants him to strike the ground with the arrows and he doesn't strike it enough times. So he doesn't get as many victories as he could have gotten. And basically Joash just... He doesn't get it. I mean, he, he doesn't have a, a spiritual attitude. 
he does believe that Elisha is a, is certainly a man of God and all of that. But he, like all the kings of the, of Israel, their their worship of Jehovah is a shallow worship. It's not a worship based on the law, and they keep doing the golden calves and all that. Then Jehoash dies, and his son uh, Jehoahaz takes over. No, I'm sorry. Wrong Joash. <laughs> Joash in the south dies, and his son um, Amaziah takes over. And here's where it really gets confusing. Amaziah has another name, Uzziah. And so, in some places you read he's called Uzziah, in some places you read he's called Amaziah. And again, in Chronicles, there's a lot more details about him. Because as far as you could tell from kings, Amaziah is a good king. Now, you notice there's a question mark in front of it. Instead of a plus sign for good, it's a question mark. And the problem is something that isn't mentioned in kings. <laughs> Except it's. It does mention well we see what we see the bad that happens but we don't we don't know why it happens. This is the strange thing. Um, in verse seven, this is chapter fourteen, verse seven, he went down to Edom and he conquered the Edomites. So that's down south. Here's Jerusalem, here's the kingdom of Judah that Amaziah is king of. He goes down to Edom and conquers these people. That looks fine. Then he sends word to Jehoahaz in the north, let's have a battle. And from kings, you have no idea why that's happening. Um, when we get to Chronicles, we find out that he has reason for, for being mad. But we also find out that God has a reason to be mad at him, and that's because when he took the gods, uh, the, stat, the idols of Edom, he brought them back to Jerusalem and started worshiping them. Which, you think about it, this is pretty dumb. You know, they didn't help the Edomites. How are they going to help him? But so he he's going to get punished by God. And he does. So he challenges the king of Israel uh, to a battle, and the king of Israel tells him a fable. <laughs> this is actually if, if the fable is kind of a branch of, of parable. Does anyone know what makes a fable different from ordinary parable? Yeah, it couldn't actually happen. In this school, couldn't this, this, what's in this table couldn't happen. Talking trees? <laughs> Talking thorn bushes and all. Yeah, it couldn't happen. Can you name me any parable Jesus ever told that's in this category? Jesus never told fables. Every parable Jesus told was a parable that could actually happen. So went forth the sow, sometimes he fell. You know, that, that could actually happen. A guy who's looking for pearls and he finds a pearl. You know, all those things, they could really happen. Never does Jesus tell a fable. Um, but uh, this is a fable. And it, um, it was an insulting fable. It was basically telling uh, Amaziah, you're, you're just nothing. <laughs> and of course, Amaziah's not going to take that, so he fights He fights some. Um, uh, Joe Ash in the North. Is that right? Is that right? Um, or Jehoash. Yeah. He fights Jehoash in the North and he loses. And he loses so badly. 
Oh, this is so awful. Um, they have the battle at Beth Shemesh. Now, here's Beth Shemesh on the western side of, of the territory of Judah. But he loses that. And he loses so badly that he gets captured. And the king of the, of the north, Joash, comes to Jerusalem and breaks down the city wall. And, and the city's in terrible shape without a wall. But that, and then takes a bunch of hostages. And, and of course, he didn't break down the whole wall, but he broke down a lot of it. Enough where an army could walk without going single file right into the city and just take it. And then, of course, he took a bunch of loot. And um, he ends up, Amaziah, look down at verse 19, chapter 14, verse 19. They conspired against him in Jerusalem and he fled to Lachish, but they sent Ephraim to Lachish and killed him there. So here's Lachish. Well, why would they conspire against him? Well, again, he's a loser. <laughs> Nobody, nobody likes the king that loses and lets the um, enemy break down the wall. Um, so then his son becomes king. And let me see here, where am I? Uzziah, we've got two people up. I've been using the wrong name. Amaziah only had one name. Azariah has two names. Uzziah. <laughs> now we're up to the guy with the two names. Azariah and Uzziah. And there's another guy who is good, but we have a question mark. And you don't find out in Kings what, what he's bad. Um, all you know is in, verse, in chapter 15, verse 5, the Lord struck the king so that he was a leper to the day of his death. Why did the Lord do that? Does anyone know from the book of Chronicles? He tried to offer a sacrifice in the temple. Yeah, yeah, he tried to go into the temple. He was going to be a priest. Not a good idea. So that, you know, a good a good guy, but um, pride, pride just got the better of him. He got ruined. Um, in the northern kingdom. We've got Jeroboam II. And with Jeroboam II, the northern kingdom reaches its pinnacle of glory. Um, look at this map. The, the gray is the area that he controlled. Um, I mean, here's the capital Samaria. This little area here, that's where, he, where the, his Roman control. But he went all the way up here. He controlled all this territory, all the way down Ammon, it was an amazing time for the northern kingdom. Also, a prophet is mentioned in his time. Who is that prophet? This is chapter um, 14, verse 25. Jonah. Jonah. <laughs> now, of course, Jonah is famous for you know his prophecy against Nineveh and, and you know his reluctant. Preaching trip to Nineveh, but meanwhile we find out that he did lots more. He was he was a prophet when Jeroboam II was the, the king. Jeroboam II was I don't have that chart, but he was the descendant of Jehu, um, and he he was not a good king. There were no good kings of the north, but he was better than people like Ahab. And under with with the prophecy of Jonah, he extended the kingdom to, to its greatest extent. Um, it says in verse 25, 
he, he restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah. Now, Hamath is up here. It's, it's part of the Assyrian kingdom. But he somehow got all the way up here. We don't need, I mean, you thought this was big. I mean, it, really, he went all the way up as far as Hamath. And the Sea of the Arabah is the Dead Sea, which is why we see him controlling even down in the Moab there. Um, so that's why I was saying maybe his grandfather, when he prayed for deliverance, maybe Jeroboam was the answer to that, because certainly um, they, they got a lot. But it's not going to last long. I mean, it, it, things fall apart very fast. Um, so um, he died. Um, his son Zechariah arranges a short time. We're into chapter 15 now. But chapter 15 tells us a little bit more about Azariah or Uzziah. Um, yeah. Chapter 15 has got to be one of the most complicated chapters to read. You just have one king after another, and it's just very hard to keep track of them. The only good thing about it is that most of the kings of chapter 15 are the king of, the, of Israel. So we have Zechariah got murdered by Shalom. Uh, that's in verse 13. How long did Shalom reign? One month. One month. Whoa, he almost broke the record. Yeah. Who's the guy that held the record for the shortest reign? Seven days. Seven days, yeah. Anyone know his name? Zimri, yeah. Zimri, yeah. Who, who was it that mentioned Zimri to Jehu when Jehu killed uh, the king of Israel? Who mentioned that? Yeah, that was Jezebel. Yeah. Yeah, is it peace? Zimri? I call him Kind of blind. You know, you're like the last one. He lasted bloody. He lasted. This, this was his descendant that got killed, Zechariah. This is Jehu way up here. So in 753 BC, Zechariah gets killed by Shalom. Shalom reigns one month. And then Menahem um, came and killed Shalom. And. Menahem did a bunch of bad stuff. And then um, it's in Menahem's time that we have um, in verse 19 it says, Paul, king of Assyria, came against Israel, and Menahem gave Paul a thousand talents of silver. So we're seeing the beginning of the end here. Of course, we already saw on the black obelisk that Jehu had, had given tribute to, it, to the Assyrians. But this is a lot worse. A thousand talent. A talent. If if this was the Israelite talent, uh, and not the not the Assyrian talent. The Assyrian talent, I understand, was lighter. But if this was the, the Israelite talent, it's seventy-five pounds approximately weight. So this would have been seventy-five thousand pounds of silver. It's a lot of money. And the kingdom is not nearly as big as it was um, in in the days of, of Jeroboam. It's really getting cut down. And he, Menahem, then exacted the money from all the rich people in the, in the country. Um, he then died, which is pretty surprising. Here you have a king that didn't get killed. He died. His, his son, Pekahiah, became king. And then he got killed by Pekah. There ought to be a rule against making the same names like this right next to each other. Pekah then killed him. And... Um, <coughs> In the days of Pekah, in verse 29, the Tiglath police of the king of Assyria came, and he captured a bunch of 
of cities in the north. I, John, Abel, Ebenezer, Genoa. These kings up, these cities, sorry, these cities up here are being taken. So they they don't have nearly the the kingdom that they had in the days of Jeroboam. It's the beginning of the end. And then um, Hoshea, then um, Hoshea, the last king, he killed Pekah. It's one of these that everyone's playing king of the mountain, but you don't want to be the last king of the mountain. <laughs> it's not going to be good. Um, we'll come back to him. But now we switch to verse 32. We switch back up to Jotham, uh, the, the son of Azariah. Another question, Mark King. Good, but it's the things that, that really show you bad. Um, And we don't know. We don't have a whole lot about him. Then we have Ahaz. We have Ahaz, who was one of the very worst kings in Judah. There's no question mark next to him. We know he was he was bad. Um, he there may be a worse king, Manasseh, but but he would certainly provide for the honors. Um, his dad was good. Uh, his son was one of the best. But he was, he was really bad. Uh, we get a lot more details about him in the book of Isaiah. Um, I, and I don't recall whether I mentioned this last time, but for, for the last number of chapters, we've been in a, in a period of history that parallels the prophets. The major prophets and the minor prophets. Many of those prophets were written during the period of history that we're reading. Um, all the major prophets except Daniel are, are centered on this on this history. Um, Daniel overlaps it, but he was in Babylon, so that's a different story. But of the minor prophets, I don't have an actual count, but I'm sure over half of the minor prophets were also written in the same period of history. Uh, and that leaves a few of the minor prophets written for after they came back from Babylon, which is not in the, in the book of Kings. Ahaz is told in, in quite some detail in the book of Isaiah. Um, he faced a big challenge here um, with um, in chapter 16 in verse 5. Reason the king of Aram and Pekah the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war and they besieged Ahaz but did not overcome them. In Isaiah we learned that their goal really was to, to put an end to the dynasty of David and replace it with a foreign puppet king. The reason they were doing it is not really specified anywhere but it's not hard to figure out. Um, the big, big enemy at this time was Assyria. And Israel and Aram the Arameans were in a, had had allied with other nations around there in, 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 a, in an attempt to throw off the Assyrian yoke. And they wanted Ahaz to go along with it. And he wouldn't. So they are going to kick him out and put someone in the wood. Um, but what did he do to solve the problem in verse 7? This is yeah, from who? From Syria. Right. Yeah, the big world empire, he voluntarily becomes 
tributary to them to, to Assyria if Assyria will come and beat up on his enemies. Which the Assyrians will be happy to do that anyway because they're conquering everything. So they get they get Judah for free. Ahaz is just going to give them the tribute they want. They don't have to attack Judah. And then they, they go off and they attack Damascus, kill the king there, and, and attack uh, Israel. And as soon as they start attacking, that, that, that relieves the pressure off of Jerusalem. Those, those guys go away. And Ahaz feels like he's done it. But what he's really done is a terrible thing. He's put the, this, the nation of God, the people of God, in slavery to this big world empire of Syria. And it very nearly wiped out the, the, the kingdom, as we're going to see in the story that follows this. He, Ahaz then goes to meet the king of Assyria at Damascus. And in verse 10, he saw an altar there. And this altar has to be to some idol. But he, he instructs his high priest to build an altar like that in the temple. And, they, and he moves the, the furniture all around and puts this new altar in a place of prominence. And basically, they're, they're just doing away with the worship of Jehovah, the bringing in his idol worship, um, which he, he's learned from either the, the uh, Arameans or he's learned from the Assyrians or both. Just a terrible time, terrible. And um, then finally he dies, and Hezekiah becomes the king. And we'll get back to him in a minute. Meanwhile, in chapter 17, we go back to the north. Hoshea again. And I'm sure, I don't have to tell folks that this gets complicated when we read about Hoshea chapter 2 ago and now we come back to him again. But you just have to have a king's chart in front of you when you read this material or else it just doesn't make much sense. Um, so, the end has arrived. In verse 6, chapter 17, in the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and carried Israel away into exile to Assyria. This, this was at the end of a three-year siege of Samaria. You can imagine how terrible it would have been for people in the city being besieged for three years. And then they, they finally fell, and anyone that was left got carried off to other, other lands. This was a policy the Syrians had. It, it solved the problem of people rebelling. Because once you move them to a, to a new territory, they're not really a nation anymore. And, and they can't rebel. So you take all these people, take them somewhere else, bring some other people you've conquered into the, that territory, mix it all up, and nobody rebels. And, and I guess it worked all right. Um, of course, it left the people of God in, in a terrible jumble. And in fact, we don't really read about those people again. They can care, and you may have heard of the Timbal's tribes of Israel. That this is where it was. They, they get carried off. Um, and, the, and as far as I can tell, they just, for the most part, they just get absorbed by whatever cultures they, they go to. Now, we do read about some of the tribes, isolated people from some of the tribes later, but I think the bulk of these people are just gone. Meanwhile, in Samaria, you've got foreigners there. And you got this incident with the lions, and they decide that the god of that land is against them, so uh, the king of Assyria sends one of the priests back. Well, what kind of priest is he sending back? Not very good. One of the priests of the, of the golden calves. That's one of the priests he sends back, not a Levite priest. So he, quote, teaches them how to worship Jehovah. So they worship Jehovah plus all their other gods. That's Samaritan worship. And, and, and that's why the, the people of Jerusalem were, were such enemies of the Samaritans. 
because the Samaritans were, were claiming to worship the same God the people of Jerusalem did, but it was just a, a hybrid worship. It was just really bad. And so chapter 17 gives a summary of why they, they got taken captive. This is the culmination of centuries of, of unfaithfulness to God. Um, and it, it finally got finally had enough and he took them away and, and they're out. Now, chapter 18, we're up to Hezekiah. A breath of fresh air. <laughs> Here is a really good king. Um, he's a plus. We don't have any question marks beside him. Not that he didn't make mistakes. I mean, everybody makes mistakes. But he didn't turn away from God. And so when he became king, let me show you the map. Here's what... Here's what the world looked like when he became king. <laughs> what color is his kingdom? Pink. <laughs> He's pink. Assyria owns everything else. It's just, he, he's an island there. And in fact, this isn't really accurate. That was green too when he became king. His father Ahaz had sold out to the Assyrians. It was all green. But at some point, he rebelled against the king of Assyria, turning his territory pink. <laughs> and um, that leads to quite a challenge. I mean, imagine the challenge of being a little old Judah and going up against massive Assyria. That's, that's what he was up against here. And so chapter 17 tells about how... Um, the, uh, he got invaded by Sennacherib in verse 13. And so we've got to look at the map now. Um, here's his, his little kingdom now. He's in Jerusalem. And Sennacherib comes against, it says he came against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. This is terrible. I mean, just like all the fortified cities except the court of Jerusalem. I mean, it's just, he's in an awful situation. And so in verse 14, he, he gives up. He tells the, the king of, this, of Syria, I've done wrong, and he pays him uh, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Um, basically, all the money he, he could scrape off the temple or anywhere else. Um, and that didn't do him any good. I mean, it, he just wasted the money because somehow, and we don't have, I guess, all the details, but Again, the king of Syria later decides he is going to take Jerusalem anyway. And they have this big speech in, in chapter 18 where he he's really trying to do psychological warfare. He's trying to convince the people of Jerusalem, you know, kick out your king, you can't win, he's just going to cause you terrible suffering and death. Uh, uh, and uh, you, you can't, nobody's been able to, nobody's been able to withstand us. What God has ever been able to withstand us? You think your God's going to do any better? That was a big mistake. <laughs> when, when any of these people start mentioning the God of Israel in disparaging terms like that, uh, it, it's not going to be good <laughs> for them. <laughs> so, Hezekiah sends word to Isaiah the prophet. And, and, um, this 
this may explain why Hezekiah was such a good king because Isaiah was a prophet in his day and Isaiah probably did a lot of teaching to Hezekiah. Because Isaiah had been a prophet in his dad's day uh, as well, so he'd been around. And um, so Isaiah tells them you know, in, verse, in chapter 19, verse 7, that behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he will hear a rumor return to his own land. I'll make him fall by the sword in his own land. That was the first prophecy. But it's not over yet. Um, they, these messengers from the king of Assyria go and they find him now fighting against Libna. And in verse 9 they hear that the king of Cush, which is Ethiopia or, or uh, Egypt, um, he's coming. And see, the, the king of Assyria, he's not free to just do anything he wants. He can't just spend an unlimited amount of time besieging Jerusalem. He's got this other enemy to worry about, which is, of course, a lot bigger than you know, the, the Egyptian army coming up. So, but it's, it'd be incredibly dangerous to have a battle against the Egyptians anywhere near Jerusalem when you've got the whole army of Jerusalem inside the walls ready to come out and attack his rear as soon as he gets in trouble. So he really, really wants to get Jerusalem to capitulate. So that's why he sends these people back and they, they try again in verse um, in, uh, in, ch- in chapter 19. Um, in verse 10, Thus you shall say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, Do not your God in whom you trust to see if you say, Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. And so they have another prayer before God and God makes another promise to Isaiah. And this time, they get an amazing answer. This is the time when, in verse 35, it happened that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 that can't flee Syrians. You can't keep fighting if you don't have an army, so he goes home. And it says, it came about as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his God, that Adramelech and Shereser killed him with the sword. Now, from the Assyrian history, we find out that that actually happened several years later. Um, the, this account doesn't tell when. I mean, if you read the account, the thing happened really, really fast, but it's just telling the facts. It happened several years later. I think the point that this the, the author Kings is trying to make here is that he was worshiping his own God. I mean, he's the guy that's been bad-mouthing the God of Israel. Now he's worshiping his own. His own God can't even keep alive in his own temple. Quite a lesson there. Then finally in chapter 20, we have the final story about Hezekiah. And I, I don't know that this is in the right order. I, this is kind of an appendix to the story of Hezekiah, kind of like we had an appendix at the end of 2 Samuel for the story of David. And that there's some hints in the story that would place it back in the time when the Assyrians were, were attacking him. Uh, for example, verse 6. I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you in the city from the hand of the king of Assyria. Well, that statement would make no sense if the king has already had 185,000 of his men killed and he's moved back to back home. So this, this story happened earlier. It's an appendix just to give us uh, an interesting story from his life that, that actually has significance later on in the history. He got sick. He was, Isaiah told him what was going to happen. He's going to die. He prayed, asked God, and God granted his prayer. And Isaiah said, okay, you're going to live. And then he got a nice sign, a miraculous sign, 
uh, of the shadow going back on this uh, some sort of a um, sundial that doesn't look like any sundial we have today because it had steps on it. Um, but it went the sun went back, so that was a sign that he was that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And then the king of Babylon, the strange, you know, we've got Assyria, but now Babylon. Well, Babylon. Um, let me see if I can find this. Oh yeah, here we go. Um, here's Babylon. Notice how it's in the green area. <laughs> Assyria owns it. That <laughs> they're just kind of they're not very strong at this time. But they're happy to talk to anybody that might be on their side against the Assyrians. So they send they send a, 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 an embassy to uh, Hezekiah to congratulate him on, on this miraculous healing that he had, and also they would like to see what he's got. And so he shows them all his treasuries. And reading between the lines, there, it appears that you know Hezekiah understands he's he's playing politics. This is not the Hezekiah the man of faith. This is a Hezekiah who, in a time of weakness, is willing to play politics, and then there might be a little bit of pride there too. And so, what does Isaiah is going to say is going to happen because of this? Babylon will get all those treasures. Babylon's going to get all the treasures. However, one nice thing. Not that every guy. Has the guy thought that's pretty nice? Uh, let me see here. Okay, got to finish up with a few pictures. Um, this is just a. An appendix or appendix. In, in chapter 20, verse 20, the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and all his might, and how he made the pool the conduit and brought water to the city, are not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah. Now that's not the book we call Chronicles. This is, a, this is another book that they use as, a, as source material for this. Um, although the book of Chronicles does have more, more things about him. But... Um, I, I think there's a good reason to think that the book of Chronicles was actually written after the book of Kings. And they're both, um, they both were using source material written probably by prophets like Isaiah and, and other people like that. So that's where, if you, if you want more material, you can go there, although good luck finding this book. <laughs> um, but this is an interesting thing, how he made the pool and the conduit and brought water into the city. Just a little kind of parenthesis. Well, here's a, here's a diagram of this tunnel, very, very long tunnel they dug, from outside the city, the spring, into the, inside the walls, the pool of Siloam. The reason he did that was because the king of Assyria was coming. He didn't want the king of Assyria to have easy access to water. And he wanted water, of course, inside the city because they're going to be besieged. So, this tunnel still exists today. And here's a couple pictures. You, like, uh, tourists can actually go in it. I'm not sure what any tourists can, but a lot of them have. Um, that's what bring, brings water to the city. And it's smack in the middle of this tunnel, underground, they found this inscription. This is called the Siloam inscription. Um, this, is, this is among their earliest examples of Hebrew writing we have. They don't make Hebrew characters like that today. This was back in the 8th century BC, the, the way they were making them. And the inscription tells how they made the tunnel. <laughs> it doesn't give any, any more useful things than that, but uh, it's just kind of a commemoration of the tunnel. And it was done in the time of Hezekiah. He's the one that, that paid for it and had it all done. So, um, 
And one of those interesting things that you know we can still see evidence of it today. All right, next time I'll finish the book of Second Kings and we'll do First Chronicles chapters one to seven. Um, I'll give you a little Easter egg to hunt for in the seven chapters. <laughs> You're reading all these genealogies. There's a guy named Jabez who has a prayer. And some of you may have actually read a book called The Prayer of Jabez. The prayer is one verse long. <laughs> and some of wrote a whole book about it. Pretty famous book. But just watch and see if you find the prayer as you're reading through. So that, there's an Easter egg to find as you're reading <laughs> seven chapters of genealogy. Appreciate everyone's help.